said earlier that leadership has got to come from the top and the actions and attitudes that leaders and the board play are crucial to demonstrate that actually the culture is embedding and it's supporting everything that the company is doing. Bringing to light the latest hot topics in investor engagement and ESG disclosure, sustainability and impact, and brand and culture, this is the Luminous Spotlight Podcast. Welcome to this Luminous Spotlight Podcast. I'm Kay Kayasha, the Associate Director of Investor Engagement and ESG Disclosures. Today, we'll be speaking with Maureen Beresford of the FRC and exploring how the corporate reporting landscape is evolving, the role of culture in safeguarding companies, and digging deeper into the upcoming audit and corporate governance reforms. Hello, Maureen. Can you tell us a little bit about your role at the FRC? It's great to be here today, and thanks for the opportunity to discuss these important subjects. So um, I'm Head of Corporate Governance at the FRC. I'm responsible for leading on the corporate UK Corporate Governance Code and the Weights Principles. The Weights Principles, for those of you who don't know, are for large private companies. We also write the associated guidance for the codes, and we undertake a great deal of research into corporate governance which we hope will help companies with it, with their report. Great, thank you. What are your thoughts on how the corporate reporting landscape is evolving? I think it is evolving, but let's start by saying I think that the there is good reporting in the UK. You know, we have really strong annual reports and companies cover a wide range of interests and, and give us quite a lot of insights into what's happening in terms of corporate governance and the matters within their company. But obviously there's all room for improvement. What we've seen over the last few years is that there's a lot more emphasis on company culture, it's getting much more attention, environmental issues with the associated reporting requirements, but also climate change, lots more reporting in those areas, net zero targets, for example. Stakeholder engagement continues to be high on the agenda with companies talking about not just their workforce engagement, but how they engage with their suppliers, their customers, and and other entities that impact on their strategies. In terms of the wider issue, you know, what we'd like to see at the FRC is a, a little bit more reporting on outcomes and impacts. And what we are seeing as well is that more companies are reporting non-compliance with the UK Corporate Governance Code. And you might think I would sit here and say that's a bad thing, but actually we want companies to report on non-compliance. We think that tells a story and the code is comply or explain. And we want companies to tell us if that you know, a particular provision or a principle is not working for them, or why it isn't, and then give an explanation. And that gives additional transparency to investors and stakeholders to understand the actual governance of, of each individual company. As I said, they're all different. It's interesting to hear that a regulator wants more companies reporting on non-compliance, but as you say, companies are so different with different audience needs that you probably learn more through the explanations around non-compliance than boilerplate responses. And I agree, based on our research for Reporting Matters 8, we've seen that the quality of reporting has improved over the years, but there still needs to be more insights into ESG disclosures, board behaviours, culture, and as you say, outcomes and impact. So this is a question that I want to throw to you because our clients grapple with this every single year. Reports are getting longer and longer each year. What is your advice for companies on balancing the tension between meeting regulations, standards, and the code, while also keeping the page count down? I wish I had a magic wand, to be honest, but I don't, and I can't say, (laughs) I I can't fix things overnight. Uh, What I would say is to be very specific. Make sure that you don't spend lots and lots of time on process what you're doing in terms of how things happen, how things occur. I think we're very much interested in the outcomes. So just quickly outline processes in terms of governance and then give us the outcomes and the impact. 
I think, you know, effective use of cross-referencing, we've seen lots more of that recently. So I think that's something that companies should think about. Often less is more. So, you know, remove repetition. We've done our review this year and we've seen many companies that say the same thing in maybe a chairman's letter, then it might be in a, a committee review, and then it might be in a section under ESG or stakeholder reporting. So I think try and keep the repetition down as far as possible. And much more reporting about quality of what you're doing in terms of governance rather than lots of detail. I should also add that, you know, there is work going on to try and look for where changes can be made to reporting and how it can be slimmed down. So hopefully in the next year or so, there'll be more announcements on that. I agree. I think, I mean, it's, we're always pushing for our clients to include more disclosures around what they do. So the actions they've taken and the outcomes. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know this is something many companies struggle with every year, the report getting longer and longer. And with more regulation coming out, especially around ESG, I hope they take your advice to heart. We've recently published our research report, Reporting Matters 8, and found that almost one quarter of boards don't explain how they monitor culture. What are your views on the role of culture in safeguarding a company? I, I think culture is really, really important. And I think, you know, you, you mentioned that 20% don't explain their board monitoring of culture. And we've seen similar figures. But, you know, I think that the figures are improving over time. I think when we looked at this at the FRC some three years ago, there was very little reporting on culture. And lots of companies were saying, oh, we're thinking about our culture. We're, you know, we're doing new things around it and we're reporting due course. And this year, we're seeing increases in terms of culture reporting and culture monitoring. And I think it's so important that, you know, by creating the right culture and linking it to purpose and strategies, that the company is actually drawing in their workforce and explaining how everyone can work together to achieve those long-term goals. And if you've got the right culture and you can demonstrate the right culture, I think you can encourage new talent to the company. You can be innovative. You can bring the workforce along, along with you in, in terms of achieving your longer-term goals and that strategy. I do think this is something many companies miss in the annual report and on their website as well, showcasing how their culture is captured in a vibrant and engaging way as to recruit new talent and also demonstrate how they're proud of their current talent. So definitely something to keep an eye on. How can companies provide a clear connectivity, do you think, between culture, purpose and strategy? I think there are many ways. And as I said before, you know, every company is different. So there's not one way that companies should just follow. They should do what's right for them. But I think demonstrate how your vision, your purpose, your mission, your values and goals all fit together. How boards can enable middle managers to kind of drive that culture. It's a really kind of important role of the middle managers. The, the leadership sets the culture, hopefully with involvement of the workforce. And then those middle managers are the ones that actually extend that culture and give the workforce the tools to actually you know, embrace the culture and the flexibility to get involved in things that help the, the culture expand. You've got to work through a lens of culture in your decision making and think about what your culture is doing to achieve that strategy. We agree. And this is something we always encourage our clients to do every year is to demonstrate in a more meaningful way how their purpose drives their culture and how that in turn drives their, their strategy. And it's something we're hoping more and more of our clients and companies do more often. Culture is a, a, a bit of a nebulous concept in many ways. What metrics can companies use to better capture how they monitor culture? I think there's a lot of metrics, but I think the overarching message that I'd like to leave from this podcast is that it's about 
drawing on the different metrics that you've got in your company and joining them up. There's likely to be information from internal audit, from HR, from risk committees, from many sources. And quite often, these this, the metrics are sent up to the board or senior management in isolation, where actually, if you were to draw it together, you'd be able to find out a much more rich set of information that you could think about. That said, if you want me to talk about some metrics, you know, there are things like the obvious ones, exit interviews, job retention, number of applicants for the post, culture dashboards, use of internal audit surveys and questionnaires, and, you know, whistleblowing hotlines, to name but a few. So there's metrics to be found from them, information that, when brought together, can give you a really good picture of what the company culture is. We think that's really important, what you said about painting the the fuller picture, and this is something many companies seem to struggle with, is demonstrating in a more measurable way how they monitor their culture, and as you say, linking it all up through the metrics to provide that, that fuller picture. So the FOC also published a paper on creating a positive culture. Can you tell us a little bit about the findings from that? Yeah, yeah, that was something that we put out beginning of this year, I think it was, or perhaps the end of last year even. And what we did this year that in this uh, report was uh, drawn company experience. So we actually engaged with many companies and talked about culture, company chairs, company CEOs were engaging with us and talking about they were kind of thinking about culture, how much of a bigger role it was playing in their companies. What we heard was it's about honest conversations and building trust. You know, I said earlier that leadership has got to come from the top. And the actions and attitudes that leaders and the board play are crucial to demonstrate that actually the culture is embedding and is supporting everything that the company is doing. And again, I talked a little bit about middle managers being empowered and supporting culture. What the report found was quite often a tension there because middle managers are given stretching targets to deliver um, maybe financial outcomes or productivity outcomes. And sometimes they're not always aligned with the culture. They need a little bit more time and space to think about culture. So so giving people that latitude to do more than one thing is really important, not just delivering objectives. Uh, Again, joining up on functions, across functions, we found was something really important. Um, But equally, engaging the workforce, you know, getting them engaged in culture, giving them space and time to think about culture and how it affects them. Speaking up, you know, raising concerns if there are any and and being heard, I think is very important. And a couple of other things I just wanted to mention, you know, if companies are asking for workers and employees input on culture, you know, make sure that you follow that up, feedback to the workforce, what you're doing, think about how it's impacting them, you know, and hopefully a positive culture should improve performance. You get trust you get empathy and everyone should be encouraged to to engage as i said before i think there's lots out there uh, on culture lots of things are happening and learn from other companies uh, was one thing that we found you know lots of different ideas happening lots of initiatives and quite often these are reported in annual reports so um, that information is out there yeah and i think what you said is key is you know culture is is set from the top and it needs to be embedded through the ranks and also kind of giving people that that space to to really consider their culture and how they can live their culture so i think all those all those things i think can really help companies create the culture they need to succeed and also deliver on their purpose and strategy 
So switching gears a bit, can you tell us a little bit about what the FRC is doing in response to the government's consultation and restoring trust in audit and corporate governance? It seems to be nearly at the top of my list than everybody else at the FRC. <laughs> so as probably many people know that, you know, we, we are moving to um, AGA, a new organisation, but that will require uh, legislation. So we're not quite there yet. But even though we need the kind of rubber stamp of the name, uh, we're still working towards that goal. So we expect to become a regulator that has much wider powers, the ability to enforce more across the whole of the annual report and to consider reporting in a much wider context. At the moment, we generally look at you know accountants and auditors and financial reporting, but we will be looking at the narrative reporting as well. There will be new standards that we're working on. For example, there'll be an audit committee standard. There'll be a review of the corporate governance code. And there are lots of pieces that need to, to go together. You know, the, we need the bill, we need some statutory instruments to create new reporting requirements, and we need to consult on many of the issues that the government has asked us to uh, consult on. Yeah, I mean, as you say, there are lots of pieces in play, but I think, you know, we are heading in the right direction with restoring trust back into businesses, especially during these, these turbulent times, I think. The wide-ranging reforms will introduce some fundamental changes to internal controls and corporate governance. What will the changes be in terms of reporting requirements in a nutshell? Well, if I talk about the corporate governance code, which is kind of my, my area, as I said at the beginning, we will be doing a review of the code. But just before your listeners panic, it, it won't be a review of the entire corporate governance code. We're going to try and keep it quite tight. Uh, We've set out a position paper a few months ago, which outlined the areas. So effectively, you know, we'll be looking at internal controls. We'll be looking at malice and clawback. We'll be looking at additional ESG requirements, perhaps. We will be thinking about impacts from the, the corporate governance code and maybe being a bit clearer about what we want. As I spoke at the beginning of this discussion, we don't want process, we want outcomes. And we'll be thinking about how the code links to other areas so you know there will be a resilience statement that's introduced that probably means that the viability statement will be removed from the corporate governance code there'll be a new audit and assurance policy that's introduced and there might be some reporting requirements associated with that that we put in the code so some targeted changes uh, but it is a consultation i just wanted to make that clear although we've said the areas you know the decisions have not yet been made on exactly how those issues will be written into the code. We'll look out for the, um, the outcome of the consultation. Um, and I know these changes will indeed improve and strengthen internal controls and corporate governance and hopefully prevent the large scale collapses that we've seen in the past. We, we hope so. <laughs> Um, the majority of the changes will impact public interest entities, but for companies that don't fall under the PIE definition, how can they adopt the reforms in spirit? Yeah, that's a really good question because uh, that is one of the biggest changes. You know, more companies will become public interest entities and some of them might not have been subject to regulation before. But equally with the new definition, some companies who are used to reporting on their viability probably may not actually be required to do so. So, you know, that might be an issue for investors. They might want to, they might ask, well, we're getting all this additional information and now we might not be getting it anymore. So they might want to think about, well, Maybe we'll look at the new resilience statement or some of the new requirements and, and actually report against some of them, maybe not all of them. It might not be uh, suitable to, re to report against all of them. But I think if you've already got 
if you're already thinking about your viability or long-term resilience, then, you know, why not be transparent about it and, you know, put a few lines in your report about that, even if you're not actually required by law to do so. And I'm sure that's what investors would want in this area. And, you know, as I said before, transparency in terms of what your company is doing and demonstrating that it's not one size fits all means that, you know, companies should think about what their investors want, what their stakeholders want. And even if it's not a legal requirement, I'm sure there are lots of things that you can put in in there and engage with your stakeholders to discuss in terms of longer term viability and, um, you know, whether, whether you're a pie or not. I think that bit's important. You mentioned, you know, considering what investors want and what stakeholders want, considering audience needs, really, um, and including information in the annual report and um, to meet their needs and reassure their investors and other stakeholders. What is the FRC's timeline in terms of updating the UK Corporate Governance Code? Well, it's it's kind of not not super fast, but but equally it's on the horizon. So, um, what we want to do is start some informal discussions with stakeholders mid-October through the next few months. And then our aim is to do a formal consultation towards the end of quarter one, possibly the beginning of quarter two in 2023. And then we will um, have a full 12-week consultation over that period, think about the responses over the summer, early autumn. And then currently, I would expect to, to issue a new code sometime towards the end of 2023. But as I said before, you know, when we're consulting, you know, it's likely that stakeholders will want to see what other elements that impact on the code look like. So, you know, they might want to see any other guidance or draft regulations for reporting in terms of resilience, for example. So although that's that's the current timetable, it might change. It's not set in stand. Well, what can companies do now, do you think, to prepare for the upcoming changes? That's a a really good question because in the reporting that we're looking at this year, a number of companies said they're already thinking about looking at the effectiveness Mm -hmm. of their internal controls. So some companies are already thinking about it based on what's in the public domain. Um, But I would say, you know, Mm -hmm. look at what the FRC is putting out. You know, we put out our position paper uh, about a month ago, which gave some information. Uh, We will be informally consulting, as I said, and there'll be information on our website as to how to get involved in that. If you're um, one of our subscribers, you'll be told about that. But also think about, again, back to what your stakeholders want. Lots of these issues are around what shareholders, investors want to see. So it's it's not rocket science. It's just adding a little bit more of a framework around some of the issues that we've discussed. So you know, see what other companies are reporting, uh, you know, and look out for government department updates and, you know, organisations such as yourself. You seem to get quite a lot of information and put that out to your clients. So I think there's lots of areas to get updates. Thanks. That's great advice. And finally, the FRC is coming out with a corporate governance reporting review in November. Can you give us a little preview of that? Yeah, yeah. We, um, every year we take a sample of 100 companies and just to look at their reporting against the UK Corporate Governance Code, the latest one should be coming out um, early in November, uh, working on it at the minute. And basically, it, it talks about what's good, where improvements could be made. So, for example, risk reporting at the minute is looking really good. We're pleased to see that engagement with stakeholders is still going well and companies are using lots and lots of different methods to engage with stakeholders. 
and as I said at the right at the beginning, you know, culture is still playing a part. And and just to reiterate, monitoring of culture is now getting a little bit more of airtime in in the in reporting. I think that you know the area that we just want to see improvements is is the outcomes and the impact of corporate governance. And that's a message that that will be put in up front and centre in our future reporting. Great. Well, thank you, Maureen. It's been great to have you with us today. It sounds like there are lots of pieces coming into play, as you said earlier, and lots for companies to sink their teeth into in terms of audit and corporate governance reforms. And we look forward to the FRC's review of the corporate governance reporting coming out in November. Great. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. For more insights, visit our website at www.luminous.co.uk.